This is an Area Code podcast. Welcome to another episode, the year-end episode special edition of Video Game Feelings. This is weird because I normally don't do like a real-time introduction. I'm realizing it like right now as I'm talking, but here I am. I'm doing a real-time introduction because I want to take the time to introduce the panel of guests that we have. I'm super excited about this panel of guests. One reason is because in terms of disciplines and like the place that they are in the video game space and like what they have to contribute, they just come from wildly different corners of the video game space and that's fun for me and hopefully for the listeners and each other as well first i want to introduce allegra frank allegra welcome you are a frequent guest on one of my favorite podcasts in case you missed it which is a slate podcast you are an editor at the daily beast and you were formerly at outlets like vox polygon and of course slate welcome allegra Thanks. It's funny that you said outlets like when those are just those exactly are the, outlets. the outlets of it. <laughs> outlets like exactly. It might even outlets. be those outlets. Uh, Sarah Amale is the voice of a lot of high profile video game villains. She is a voice actor, director, and she's a cube in Halo, I think. Is that right? In Fortnite? <laughs> I'm a, yeah, well, I think they're actually spherical, to, but who's counting? Okay, shapes? God. She's who's various evil shapes. shapes. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm evil shaped. I'm, in video yes. games. Mm-hmm. And she has issues of krill screen in the background of her of her setup there. It's which true. Which is exciting. Yeah. I always formative. get excited when I see mm-hmm. krill screen magazines. All right. Mm-hmm. M. Joshua Collar is a trailer maker for Devolver. And he also is the creator and maintainer of a game discussion community that is really the only one I can do right now because it's just personal enough, just intimate enough, and not a ton of people talking at once, which I've found in some other um, discords that I've been in called Reading Gamebow. It's both on Facebook. It's a Facebook group and it's a discord. Josh, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, yes, absolutely. So I'm really excited to talk about the year in review. One of the things I want to do is make this as feelings oriented as possible in terms of how we're framing this thing. And I mean, you can't force vulnerability, but it's welcome here. And so hopefully as we discuss things, we'll be able to be a little bit vulnerable at how games made us feel and why and all that thing and just interact with each other. I want to start with sort of a tone setting question. How has this year in video games felt to you? Yeah, so I'd say that by and large, it's been kind of like a, a weird off year in some ways. Like, I mean, I've obviously in the beginning of the year, everyone was like, whoa, we got out on Ring and Horizon. And then everyone's like, whoa, watch out. We got to like make room for the big dogs. And then like everyone forgot to release games this year. <laughs> I'm sure that's it. I'm sure that's why. <laughs> that's, how, that's how it works. People are like, they just oh, forgot. this the whole time. Just ready to release. And we just got silly and forgot. It's, it's not so much as, as much that as much as like we're really feeling, I guess, the lag that, that the pandemic caused. Like during the pandemic, we like got plenty of video games all you know like felt like a, a flow and now we're feeling sort of like the delays and uh we're two years into a new console cycle and uh it's like we're finding our feet again and for me it's most notable in the playstation catalog of like sure they've had Elden ring and god of war this year but uh it's been a little quiet comparatively like to like console launch years and 
that's how I felt about it. How about y'all? Yeah, I mean, it's weird. This is the first time I've had access to all of the consoles, and yet I have played the least amount of each, like the least variation in my console playing. Like I used to be very excited to play a new game on my Nintendo console and a new game on my PlayStation console. And now I'm just like only playing my Switch. I am not inspired to play anything on anything else. Maybe this is just a function of getting older and just mostly wanting to play handhelds. And I've always been a handheld person, but I just like have yet to find much excitement and novelty in large scale releases like it's a lot of outside of Mm. things like Elden Ring it's a lot of sequels that I'm not finding very surprising on the bigger consoles like nothing has really screamed out to me too much of like this is why you have this console it's so unique it's different like we're trying something new here it's a new IP or it's a variation of an existing IP like I just find myself sticking with my stalwarts on my Nintendo console because I'm not particularly inspired by the things that these beefier consoles are offering me so far. And Sarah, mm-hmm. I want to see if you resonate with this. I feel like the I feel like the vibe I'm getting or the feeling or the emotion is apathy from so far. Like it feels like a general. <laughs> it feels like a general. Apathy 2022, right now. the year of absolute yeah, apathy. Yeah, feeling that too. That's funny. I mean. <laughs> Am I feeling that too? I will say it feels vindicating to hear this from people because I like literally was like looking at my calendar to figure out what I played this year because I play games for another podcast. And I was like, that's probably the only diet. There's like a couple of extracurricular things I played yeah. this year, including uh, probably like 170 hours of Horizon. And yeah, I know, right? No, a no, modest no, that's, one. That's amazing. Deck. That's way, way much. more than me. It was, yeah. too, it was like, I just got lost in the world of, uh, I was, I eventually had to like be my own parent and be like, get back on the main quest, darling. You can't grind. <laughs> (laughs) armor this long you can't this is not good for you no one loves this so aside from that and like not words like i think those are the like like not words is probably the thing i played the most this year like legit it's so delightful but i was like can i say that on a games podcast will they take my card away like i don't know so i feel validated that like it feels like a sort of a low-key-ish year and if i look at my calendar and the stuff that i did play for this podcast which is about excavating indies and sort of finding stuff then i'm like oh yeah that was lovely and that was charming but as far as like big feelings getting lost in stuff i'm not sure that i had a big year okay so this should be an interesting podcast (laughs) i think for me like it's a little bit of a contrast because for two reasons one is because this was like the first full year i think i did this podcast right and so i was sort of like out there looking for opportunities to enjoy things and care about them. But then also like it was my first game pass year and game pass had this effect of like forcing me to just try stuff. And when I looked at my like top 10 list so far right now, it's all like the kinds of games I never would have bought ever. Most notably narrative story games. Like I think Norco and Pentiment and stuff like this. I don't like those kinds of games. How dare you? I like to play games for fun, <laughs> fundamentally. Wow. If you for ask fun. me. Oh my <laughs> god, what? What is this dichotomy so you're making stupid, here? That's just like <laughs> that's just like what I'm looking for, right? So like I'm much more interested on the face of it in like the new need for speed game, which is really fascinating and interesting and has a narrative element, but it's fundamentally about wrecking cars and stuff, and that's cool. But these other games really grab me. In a way that I really wasn't expecting, it was cool because, like, I think the Game Pass thing helped with that. But with Game Pass, there's so many games in there that, like, literally wouldn't 
be able to exist. Yeah. Uh, most notably, like you mentioned, Pentiment. Um, Pentiment, yeah. I'm not. I'm going to have a really hard time. This is spoilers for a whole podcast and everyone who's listening. But I'm going to have a hard time not just like gratuitously gushing about Pentiment mm-hmm. and just how it was the most mind blowing game that I played this year. So big spoilers. But literally, there's just give me an emotion and I'll share a scene from Pentiment. <laughs> okay. Um, but was that a spoiler for this podcast or for Pentiment? Is, All you is. said was that you yes. loved it. <laughs> for this podcast <laughs> a spoiler for this podcast um josh i'm gonna start with you then on the subject or the feeling of sadness we're gonna just launch right out of the gate oh, with yeah. a real real ass feeling guys oh no sadness. no, no. This, the sadness is my jam that's literally like all i've all i've been like <laughs> I love ever, it too. like no i'm not even kidding like it's the, it's literally like all, all the games that i wanted to play like that's apparently like all i wanted to do so the listener knows uh, what the question i'm asked because you guys know exactly what's happening but i want to ask what's a game this year that most made you feel sad or a moment from a game yeah. too hmm. so so for me it was uh at the end of why am I forgetting the name of the movie? Um, uh, the Emotion movie from Pixar. Uh, Inside Out. Inside Out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at the end of Inside Out, like there are spoilers for that movie. It's about coming to the realization that sadness can actually generate good uh, and is essential for creating complex emotions. So for me, like whenever I experience sadness through games, I always see it as a very positive thing as like, I don't know, I think there was like a Baudelaire quote or something like that. Something to the effect of like, happiness might make you feel good, but Grief is what develops character, something along those lines. Uh, I'm not good at quoting French people. Um, no. but, uh, yeah, that so sounded like, very fluent to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, phenomenal. Uh, Ghost Song. Ghost Song is the game that I want to talk about. Oh, um, interesting. Because at the surface layer, uh, Ghost Song looks like it's another Metroidvania. It was released by Humble Games. It looks like a game where you are just a, a skinny Samus in a, in a, in a spacesuit. And she is running through this desolate planet and... The moment where I realized what the game really was, was when I hit a save room right before the map clearly opened up into a big space. And, you know, in the international language of Metroidvania is this is boss fight, you know, like that's what's going to happen here. But instead the game was like, no, you're going to find other survivors and you're going to be their friend and you're going to help them. And it was like that subtle subversion of expectation. Like, I don't know, I was crying through like half the scheme because it was like the soundtrack is super shoegazy. It's very like, let's, let's, uh, most games like this, like, uh, like Hollow Knight is like, Hey, let's introduce five different new enemy types as you go into a new area. And that's great for people who love action variety, but this game's like, no, no, no. Here's one of the late game areas. We're just going to like completely nix all enemies and you're just going to feel the the weight of the water, you know, like <laughs> the music's going to get really awesome. And the theme of the game is much so much about like just trying to reconnect and help people who are having a really hard time and who are, you know, like, oh. like I feel like at least on a surface level, uh, Kojima would really love this game because it's <laughs> about trying to reconnect with one another and uh, the gap between us. It's not a strand type game, but it's the core language of it might be a Metroidvania, but the actual like heart and soul of it is about just thinking about existence and the need for others and yeah. helping one another and like the actual goal of the whole game is to like help the people in that camp that you met and that big open clearing yeah are you helping them like get better lives or are you just like it's it kind of sounds like you're just there like being with them in their grief a little bit is that what it is or, or is it not that deep yeah yeah you're there with them in their grief because they have a, cra- a crashed ship um the actual ship is a sentient character too and, and she's like 
oh, it's nice to meet someone else who, who's another spaceship. And you're like, I'm a spaceship? I don't think so. Quick check. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> so you're literally helping her and everyone there, like with basically just like recollecting the ship parts so they can get off the planet and they can, you know, can go on with their lives. But there's all sorts of like little subtle things that you're doing for one another. And, you know, the guy who you trade parts for upgrades and stuff like that, he's he's just happy to trade with you. And he even offers to give stuff to you for free. And you're like, no, 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 no. I, I enjoy this process. I enjoy this. And so, yeah, it, it, to me, it was it was like this critical song uh like, like uh, the game's called ghost song but it is very much felt like an album huh. uh like i'm guessing you guys have played uh super brother sword and sorcery a million years ago but that game was like that game was literally an album and this one it felt feels like literally an album of just inviting you into the into the the heart and soul of this the song so to speak did anyone else play ghost song i played like 10 minutes of it i think i played two seconds yeah. of it uh, that's how it goes like it doesn't make the strongest first impression yeah. yeah it's very slow and most people most people who started it had uh really bad experiences uh because mm-hmm. they were expecting they wanted something to hold them over till silk song finally comes out in 2029 yeah. but the the <laughs> the reality of it is this is not going to be compared comparable to two other like fierce intense metroidvanias it's a it's not a Metroidvania; it's an existentialvania. Yeah. Well, if they're looking, <laughs> oh, that to, sounds fun. If they're looking to share like big acclaim things, they can put on their Twitter that w- they got voted most sad. <laughs> video yes. game feeling, so that's good. Most sad, S- Sarah. What game award? I would, I would want to say, <laughs> Sarah. What's a game that made you feel sad? I guess, well, because you touched on grief, I started and I haven't finished Norco. I'm like, I need to get much further into it. But honestly, I think I would have to decide my relationship to the content in order to proceed because it is so on the nose for me. So speaking of grief, you know, just having lost my parents and like have gone through that process of sifting through things and trying to having a complicated relationship to their legacy and their values and like all of those things hit incredibly close to home for me so it made me feel sad in the sense of like here's your sadness (laughs) you know like just (laughs) bonk um so did that and then i you know i would really need to stay with it to to find out more about what it has to say about those things and how i feel about that and everything and so i started it with a friend and i would like to go back to it i think i got distracted by the other stuff that i have to play for the podcast but that did surface my grief for me in a way that I think like I was and and then I found myself wondering like what is a game that I really played where I felt that sense of actively processing grief or like positioning myself to grief in a way that felt cathartic and I all I could think of was like Mortician's Tale it's very just sort of I'm trying to yeah like I'm trying to think of something else that really like takes this head on the subject of grief for sure yeah yeah that was the, the last time I felt it being like cozy meaningful comforting and frank and kind of like unsparing at the same time. I was like, this is really good stuff. Here's the the remains of someone that you're literally sipping through with your tools. Yeah. Yeah. And this act of care and craft and like, what it means to and discuss, you know, all the emails you have around like, I'm totally taking us off a game that was from this year, my bad. But like, right, how do it just if the topic is sadness, subcategory grief, <laughs> you know, what tools do games have to make that a meaningful investigation rather than just a button that you push in order to like, oh, everyone's lost somebody. Uh, here, allow me to serve my story by having grief in it or something like that. Yeah. There's different w- approaches you can have where you're like, let's actually take up this question. Does grief make you a more interesting, rich person? Or does it leave you hollowed out inside? Like, that's you know that's a real question as you get older like that's not like a fake narrative question that movies do it's like real (laughs) how do you become richer from this and not less you know how do you not lose something from this Mm -hmm. so i would have to say just coming back to the game of from this year that norco started opened up that box for me and i would have to go then revisit and see kind of how i felt about it but it certainly raised a bunch of sadness and i could tell it was quite personal you know in the making so that's all i would how how far did you get into norco 
not far enough. I mean, I like got, I was like poking around the house and I was like, no, I can tell. OK, here we go. OK. And then like looking at, you know, I think I poked around just outside, but I didn't even get further than that. I was like, this game clearly takes this up and this is going to be what's, you know, part of what happens. But I didn't get far enough. Did you to, get like, to pal around with your mom's pet cyborg? I met the cyborg who was quite charming, if I recall yeah, correctly. Sitting yeah. in the back of the truck. Yes, we did meet. We shook hands. We greeted one another, so to speak. It sounds um, like your your yeah. reaction to that sort of close to homeness was a little bit like tentative. Like you're not sure if that's what you want or not. It, for me, <laughs> it is a hundred percent not a value judgment. I think it's just dependent on the person. Like for me, I'm always a little bit relieved when things do that and i guess it would depend on the approach but is that yeah. more your thing is like you're like yeah i want to see what they're gonna do here and whether it's worth it oh i think that we have to because i've seen it deployed cheaply as a device uh-huh. i mean you know we fridge people all the time and blah 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 you know what i mean like it, we know of it, that it can be used as a crutch narratively so like i guess i am less trusting <laughs> i'm i'm old and sad and untrusting now and so you have to like earn my trust in terms of like how you're going to take this up so sure. i feel like you're just going to kind of toss it in there because it's lazy story writing or whatever it is then i'm going to be like okay all right i might be triggered and frustrated with you yeah. and i've experienced this acting too where it's come up and it's material i have to serve i've like felt it when it, i felt like i was like i don't know if we've earned this mm. you guys and then other times where i'm like oh this is a real opportunity for me to like move something in a way that yeah. i haven't you know what i mean so it's gone both ways and so it goes both ways likewise in consuming media fascinating mm-hmm. <laughs> Allegro, what's the game that made you feel sad this year? I'm going to like have the most boring answers for you guys this, this year. My taste has gotten increasingly bland. No, get ready. Okay, so <laughs> doubling this down. one is yeah. legitimately sad, I will say. So I played most of Stray huh. on PS5, and I had an orange cat who looked quite like the cat in Stray, not exactly like the cat, but enough that I felt incredibly protective of this cat that you play as more than I normally would, although I love animals. Like, anytime an animal gets hurt in anything, I get very upset. But in the beginning of the game, the cat is separated from his tribe, his family. You know, he ends up getting lost, and ultimately part of the game is reuniting with your family and getting out of the place that you end up in. So seeing this happen and the cats are fairly realistic in the sense that they don't talk, they move like cats. I mean, it's this like sci-fi kind of world, but seeing this cat get separated from his family and ending up alone in an unfamiliar place where there are no really other cats and he's with robots and it's a very unfriendly, not particularly warm place it just made me feel very sad thinking about my cat who yeah yeah like yeah just the idea i mean he was like a rescue cat it was not the kind of thing where he was found on the street necessarily but his mother was but we got him from he had been saved from a kill shelter so but even still like that orange cat knowing that he was then adopted to like, it just really took me back to losing my cat last year. Mm-hmm. And I have a cat now who may pop in the frame at some point. Cause she likes to climb on my laptop, but um, <laughs> she was a rescue cat. She was found on the street alone, separated from her family. So I often think about like where her family is, who her family was. So just seeing that, like even and that's in the first like five minutes of the game, more yeah. so than seeing this cat, die which can happen like the cat can get hurt and you'll be knocked out which i didn't let happen very much because i'm a good gamer but also i just was like i didn't want this cat (laughs) Uh, to die 
Late. Uh, yeah, no, but um, <laughs> just even more than that, like seeing this cat get separated from his family was so upsetting to me. I just started crying and I was like, I don't know if I can do this. That's good. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to share straight with my kids because of the exact same opening. I was like, my daughter is going to be very sad by the part when the cat gets separated from his family. I like, yeah, yeah I like that it's not done in like a manipulative way either. Like this game, oh, yeah, 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 this game is like, you know, it's not overbearing with its story or details at all. Like I like how it's a lot of environmental storytelling and kind of intimate in nature. Obviously, like it starts to you know blow up a little bit as you're exploring, but. I really appreciated how sort of muted that opening was to really kind of just, you know, setting the scene. It's not trying to be gratuitous and ask you to, like, feel badly for this cat. It's not trying to luxuriate in the pain and the sorrowful thing that's happening. It's just really like, this is the start of the game. You respond the way you're going to respond. We're moving on. But it's also not callous or cruel in that way either so i think they handled that well that balance of like Mm. you're going to be affected by this but we're not imposing upon you a feeling about what is happening here or about this cat Hmm. yeah was last year the year where we killed all the horses is that was that the one i feel like ghost of tsushima and like red dead 2 so there's there's like one phase where like everyone was killing their horse halfway through and i'm like chill Yeah, and that's another one where I'm like, you're fridging your horses, and this is, I question this taste, as a, you know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. I don't know. Can you give our listeners a definition of what it means to fridge someone or something? Oh, sure. Yes. I'm trying to remember which specific comic Green it's Lantern. From. Thank you. I thought it was Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Green Lantern, and it's a girlfriend yeah. that gets chopped up into bits and put in his fridge. <laughs> yeah. Right? If I recall correctly. So yeah, Green Lantern has his boyfriend chopped up into bits and put in his fridge. And it's it, this refers to the term came out of this idea that, you know, you sacrifice someone important to a character and one, it affects them very deeply and might, you know, be the impetus for a major shift in their life or their development. And so this becomes a storytelling device whereby your character grows or changes their life or just, you know, or yeah. Becomes more terrible, possibly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> more terrible. Yes. Yeah. Whatever happens, it's a big event, you know. And so you've yeah. sacrificed whatever development that other character might have had or the richness of uh-huh. their identity or relationship position to this person or to the world um, in order to. And because, you know, there's a disproportionate number of women that gets that get, for, you know, killed this way in stories. It's just uh, it's a known device. Got it. And I think treated rightfully with increasing suspicion or a higher water, you know, higher standard of appropriateness over time. Well explained. Thank you. Sure. It was a big question with God of War in 2018. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the reasons why, uh, and this is all that I'll say of the, the new Ragnarok, like I haven't gotten very far, but I was very glad that they actually embodied his wife and showed what she actually like looked like mm-hmm. and let her be a person <laughs> in, mm-hmm. in Ragnarok. So that was an improvement yeah. at least. Yeah. Yeah. That's an, that's a good point. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, Allegra, I'm, I'm sort of glad you brought up pets and this is going to sound weird, but I think it's sort of like a way, an on-ramp for me to talk about being a parent they're obviously not the same there's some different dynamics but it's also it's just this feeling of like caring for someone that's more vulnerable than you and that sort of thing i have struggled <laughs> all season to try and make my pure identity as a dad relatable to this audience and <laughs> i just working through these games that i have selected Sorry, I'm a dad. Like I, I can't really get past it. This is I'm just gonna have to own that. So I'm gonna be the dad on this podcast. My game that made me sad 
is I'll turn off my dadness for you so that you your dadness can shine. Yeah. No, dads, dads, yeah, no, we love dads in combination should resonate beautifully, harmoniously, amplify each other as dads. Yeah. Yeah. We will combine. Yeah, just like the inside, the end of inside or whatever you know, just like monster dads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Though weirdly enough, my game is one of those narrative story games called A Memoir of Blue. This is one I wouldn't have played without Game Pass. And it is an unbelievably deep, I think, well-earned sort of sad story about, but also like a, an inspiring story about what an immigrant mom does for her daughter. And the thing that really made me want to talk about this game for this episode is the way that it explores this idea of sort of delayed grief. This thing where when you are a grown up, you look back on your life and you start having a series of realizations about your life and about your parents' life, more importantly, and the things they did for you, the things they sacrificed for you that don't feel as warm and fuzzy anymore. They feel actually really sad and heartbreaking and just like bummers. And I think, you know, this is really like there are a series of moments that really the a memoir blue is about a series of moments that she looks back on. And there's in particular one specific day that she looks back on and she thinks it was just a fun day out on the town and it was actually her mom having to make a series of really hard choices and sacrifices and do a series of things i've just been doing some of the work this year personally with my dad and like he died i think when i was around like 30 28 Something like that. I should know that, but I just don't know those things. But um, it was 2012, Rich. It was 2012. How do you know that? Are you serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> wow. I really thought you were cracking a joke, and I was like, yeah, no, no, it's not no. here to be joking. I mean, I wrote stuff for Kill Screen about it, and it was a whole thing. Well, I met you in 2012. It was when we both started writing at Game Church. Right. And, Got it. Uh, that I mean, it was because of you and Drew and just being editors at Game Church that I was able to like really open up into kind of like writing from a personal standpoint mm. as I'm writing about games. So that's so nice. Uh, that is because you were writing about. Uh, I don't even remember what the game was. I just remember you just you know just sharing about your dad and there um, was to the moon. I yeah. wrote while my dad was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, um, that makes perfect sense. I wrote a review yeah. about right. I remember that, that game. <laughs> that was a lot. Anyway. I remember that. All of that is to say, this game has helped me in processing this, in addition to my therapist, which I would also recommend. Not my therapist, <laughs> but a therapist. It has helped me in processing like some of like the things that have happened in the past that I just didn't recognize were actually like bad signs or bad things and sacrifices that he made for me and i don't know how to go deeper than that other than to say like you don't recognize where you need to even grieve until you start making the same choices <laughs> that they are making yeah. and thinking in that direction so that's my yeah, i remember a lot of the a lot of the criticisms for a memoir blue were that a lot of folks didn't understand <laughs> uh, narratively a lot of what was actually going on but you point out the way that you pointed out the part yeah. where she or when her mom took her out on the town and she saw it as like wow i get to go see the big city yeah. uh and ultimately what you have uh the realization is that she's fleeing from a, a problematic husband mm -hmm. and that dynamic that just colors her perspective and fills literal like fish on the screen around and all the metaphorical examples but yeah Anna Perna's done a really great job of releasing sad games this year sad game award goes to yeah. Anna Perna no, I, I think hearing your perspective part of me wonders if it's possible to feel some grace toward mm. your parent for making those sacrifices knowing 
how whatever your own relationship to making those choices or sacrifices for your kid now yeah. would be to, that a gentleness might come out of this where you're like, of course I did it. Of course I would do mm-hmm. that. Of course they did it. But that's me making assumptions as someone who doesn't have children. So, I mean, it's interesting to hear you talk about that. I think that's, yeah, I don't know. Does yeah. that feel, is that not something that you extend to, to yourself and to them? I don't know. It's the whole spectrum. I'm feeling like when I look back on that stuff, I feel a little bit frustrated at him, but then also like, a lot of appreciation and uh what's the word what's the right word grace is probably the best word i could come up with actually for some of the stuff that he must have struggled with mental health has been a thing coming to terms with my mental health has cast a lot of light on his experience actually i can't diagnose him but it doesn't matter anyway at this point i think he probably struggled with depression pretty chronically and that's something i also struggle with and i'm lucky enough to be in a cultural moment where people know about those things and care about those things and so um, actively pursue the help that they need yeah. yeah exactly it's cool to see to hear about not that i'm shocked because games do this but it's cool to hear about a game really forcing you to reconsider that kind of relationship i mean art in general is really good about this but i have often found games to be more I found them to like pique my emotional interest and my intellectual interest more so than like provide this sort of like really personal mm. insight for me totally yeah. sometimes in a broader way and like well I'm sure this will come up later there's a game I played that like I this year really made me think like oh in this broad speaking way this does resonate with me about how I feel about myself but like something this specific then forcing you to think back like very specifically about your own parents and how you perceived their actions and how you perceive them now as a parent yourself I think it's really cool that a game was able to force that sort of recognition and reconsideration Totally. I think it says something that like games are, maybe it's too much to call them anxious, but when you have a big budget and you need to make a bid, then you trade in mythology with the hope that you'll capture a story that's so universal mm-hmm. in broad stroke that it'll, you know, relate to everybody or whatever. When like the idea of calling this game like, oh, it's so niche. And you're like, it's about a parent who you're like, <laughs> you know, don't we all have parents? Don't we all lose parents? Just many people become parents. Why is this a niche? Like, why yeah. is this a weird specific story? Like, this is some of the most universal stuff that we have. So I don't know, just a reflection on games having the courage to be mundane and specific, yeah. because they are, in fact, universal. That's all. Bravo. Well said. Okay, so we spent a long time on sadness, and I think that was appropriate. We will have to go a little faster on these next ones because we don't have much time on the calendar uh, for this stuff. I hate when podcasts say we don't have much time left, so I'm being very clear that it's not about like we have limited tape or something. We just have lives we have to get to, so that's what we're trying to get to at this point. Um, Sarah, tell me about a game yes. that made you happy. Game that made me happy. Let me think. What made me really happy? That's a tricky one. Happy, happy, truly happy. You might have to come back to me because I can think of okay. delight. I can think of wonder. I can think of being compelled and really curious and wanting to do good at a game. But I'm trying to think of like truly. Those are all bliss. pretty good subsections of happy. But someone yeah. else go um, if you have yeah. one. I could also go. I'll start with um, Disney Dreamlight Valley. That game. Ooh. Let's talk about dadness. Playing that game with my kids watching and (laughs) having a lot of awe and wonder at every little, like, moment of achievement and, like, discovery. Man, there's nothing better. Also, it's worth saying that I played a lot of Dreamlight Valley by myself 
like a lot of Dreamlight Valley just at you 10 o'clock to. at night, <laughs> hanging out in my living room. The game makes me happy. It makes me feel comfortable. It makes me feel less lonely for whatever reason. It makes me feel like I'm a part of something. It makes me feel like I'm improving Mickey's life and helping him through <laughs> his grief in a way that's really interesting and weird. It's just like a very kind-hearted game and they knew exactly like when the game first came out there was some grumbling of like who is this for it is clearly for adult disney people that (laughs) yeah it's for adult disney people it's very clear and they are pressing all the right buttons in all the right way so that's that's my game Oh, man, I have Game Pass. And when I found out that I was on Game Pass, I was like, let's freaking go. And I downloaded <laughs> yeah. it, but I still haven't played it. I need to. Oh, you've got to. you got to get to it. It's, I'm not a so Disney good. adult, but like. You just got to clean up your yard. Not really you got to do is just but... get rid of all the junk in your yard and get through all of the mumbling yeah. intro. Like once you get past Merlin, you're good. It reminds me yeah. from what I've seen of like Kingdom Hearts, but without any of the action, which is great. Because I hate action and I love Kingdom Hearts. (laughs) Nice. I thought of something. Okay, go for it. And I don't know if it's a cheat because really the answer is it takes two. But the same thing (laughs) that gave me from last year, like the winter section with my brother from last year, like playing co-op was like, oh my God, we're having a real Christmas. Like like that Mm. wintry section was like as close to having like the childhood feeling of Christmas as I've had a long time. But something that kind of that was equally exciting, fun co-op memory making this year was Escape Academy. Um, Really, really fun escape rooms. And playing that with my brother was super fun. And so just like continuing to enjoy and be blessed with couch co-op that that was really joyful and like a treat and had us like yelling and laughing and, you know, just created a had created a social experience that was really meaningful. I would say that was a moment of being pretty happy. That's that's an excellent answer. Yep. Co-op. Josh, what about you? Uh, I was literally just going to pause myself so I could write down an Escape Academy on my list of games that I haven't played. So I was like, I, I need I need to spend some time with this one. So for me, this is a real like, uh, I'm sure I can get a little bit of a mulligan because this is a, a game that my team put out. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Cult of the Lamb. Um, that's, uh, I, uh, that's not the emotion it yeah, made me I, feel, I, but go for it. <laughs> Yeah. So Cult of the Land, I mean, at least at like first impression, you know, like dealing with like religious trauma and stuff is not necessarily the setting that I want to go into. But uh, the joy, uh, especially, you know, the idea of being a cult leader, but the act of, okay, I got to go do this and then I got to go over here and then I got to kill this guy and then I got to grab the thing and I'll have enough gold that I can then build this building over here. Like there's something that that satisfies my desire to balance all the things. I'm not a multitasker. Like normally, like I am not a multitasker. I have to have the exact right circumstances for my brain to be like really clicked in. And it was a couple months before we released that I got to play like a pretty completed build. And I was just like, guys, I know this is our game and I should not be like working at two 30 in the morning, but I don't want to stop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's not too many, like, like I, I play way too many games that to like the frequency with which a game that makes me want to say, like, I don't want to stop playing. And like, I just want to keep going and like losing track of time is really rare for me. So yeah, that's the reason why. It's so interesting that you said Cult of the Lamb for happiness, because I have it down as a secondary <laughs> for disgust. I felt a lot of disgust for in Cult of the Lamb, mainly when it started getting into like excrement and people throwing up uh-huh. and just like as your cult devolves uh, over time a bit and you start realizing some of the choices you have to make. It's it's a real slippery slope. You, you mm-hmm. don't clean up the poop and you don't clean up the vomit and you don't clean up the dead bodies. Then you just, just you just start losing followers. This yeah. is great. I was sad that I haven't played this game before this podcast because I hear it's amazing, but I like 
that I got to enjoy this out of context very much. So thank you <laughs> for that. <laughs> what is, um, did everyone share? No, oh, me. Yeah, yeah, Allegra. Okay, this one, I want to choose this game for like everything, but I'll try not to. So the sequel to the best game of 2017 came out this year. Butterfly Soup 2. (laughs) I would actually love for you to give this answer for all of them and and justify it brilliantly. I I think that's dope. It is a (laughs) fantastic game. I mean, the first game is like an unforgettable experience for me. It's a visual novel about four girls, children of immigrants. They're all LGBTQ in middle school high school i think this one they're in high school i think the last one they were in middle school and it just like it's so specifically set during the time when i also was that age so they're all talking about like gamecube games and anime that they love and they're all instant messaging each other and it reminds me so much of being that age as well, like being a 14 year old mm. nerd who feels unlovable and has like five friends total who like the same weird things that I do, which is video games and anime, which are not weird. And all of the <laughs> characters are women or not binary. And it's just, it makes me so happy that a game like this exists and it's so well written. It feels so natural. It feels like what fan fiction is supposed to feel like, but it's all like original characters and. I'm so glad, like, the second one, you know, the first one came out five years ago, and the second one just came out recently. So when I found that out, it was a surprise to me. I didn't even know this was happening. So that in itself made me very happy. And then to see that the writing is still so strong and so funny and so idiosyncratic, and the characters Uh immediately, I remember every single character's specific personality, even though it's a visual novel, you know, and a lot of people feel some type of way about that. I find it so completely fun to go through and be with these characters. And it just makes me so happy to have a game like this. Like, I wish all games were like this. Just visual novels about characters that remind me of myself. Like, that's really all I want. Mm. Uh, And it's free? Yeah, you can get it on itch.io. I just found it on Android for what it's worth. Okay, cool. Yeah, so it's developed by this one person team brianna lay is their name and i guess you can get it on android i'm playing it on my mac so very yeah it looks like it's available on pretty much any mobile uh device they just made it available pretty much everywhere and like right you wrote uh you wrote about it on polygon in 2017 uh the first part right yes yeah that was what put it on my radar and i uh, embarrassingly i hadn't played it but definitely put it on my list as like i need to play this so i remembered it but uh i have them downloaded on my computer yeah i haven't finished the first one i've started it is it more embarrassing to have heard about it and not played it or have never heard of it in your life? <laughs> I don't think, I that's, mean. Oh, no, that's just, why I laughed when you said it. It just sounds like a funny game. It's so, it's like very, very, very indie. I mean, it's like a one person team. Like she, visual novel, visual yeah. novel for like a very specific yeah. kind of person. I think it's accessible sure. to anybody, but like it is specifically yeah. about this kind of person you know so i don't think it's yeah, embarrassing yeah. good i got everyone at polygon to play it and we got it to be number two on the game of the year list because i was in yeah, yeah. so that's cool that's i did so that massive. awesome okay so next yep. i want to find out what's the game that made you feel fear who wants to go first i avoid all such games 
as Do much really? as possible. <laughs> I would love to love horror games. Like I would love to, especially as someone who enjoys acting as zombies, you know, whatever, and being in them. But yes. like playing them, I don't enjoy the experience of fear. So, and I feel lost because there are brilliant, there's wonderful storytelling and performances and characterization in horror as a genre. And I'm missing out because I don't like feeling scared. Interestingly, so like I, it did not occur to me to put a horror game on this list, partially for the same reason. I just don't play them. But okay, I'll just say I had Citizen Sleeper for this because I feel like Citizen Sleeper was a game that caused me to deeply internalize the fear of not making it, you know, the fear of letting people down, the fear of just not getting what you needed when you needed it. Yeah, that's actually what like pulled me out of the game. I was like, I don't know that I can handle this right now. I'm afraid like a a fear of not having enough to keep going and what if I do this with my time? Then I'm going to like be closer to death. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've seen so many people say that they have quit for that reason. And I've heard people say they didn't like it because it was too easy, which I think those are answers for oh. each other. I think like that, that's that yeah, yeah, yeah. like, that's yeah. what I would say to people is if you think it's too easy, it's on purpose. That's why you're able to handle it. And if it's, if you're yeah. getting too nervous, just keep in mind, it'll work out. It's fine. You'll make it through. Yeah. That's a great pick of a game, though, because that's one that I plan on returning to for sure. Yeah. I, on the other hand, really like horror games. I mean, like survival horror, like as long as there's like a mechanic for you to fight back and it's not just, you know, all running from monsters. But that's good, too. You know, for me, ironically, a game that I want to talk about what scared me, though, uh, made me feel fear was Pentiment, uh, which is not a horror game, which is not scary in any practical sense. But because the core of Pentiment is you spending this time in this uh, Germanic town in early Renaissance Germany, you're connecting with everyone in this town of Tassie. Like, I wanted to stop and talk to everybody. Like, I want to hear, you know, like, what do they have to say? When you get invited to people's houses for lunch and dinner, like, <laughs> uh-huh. that was really exciting for me. Because then, like, you really get to hear what people are really like. What do they mm-hmm. eat? What do they think about? What do they want to gossip about? Those things are all, like, really exciting. So what scared me was when you see something happen to a character that you really like and I'm just like, oh, shit, no. <laughs> like, yeah. like, no, not them. No, mm-hmm. I, I go with that other guy. They're, he's way worse. And so the actual like fear of losing a character. And this is something that happens with so many times in the game that I don't even have to be specific. Uh, but one of, the, one of the things that this is a, a minor spoiler, but the main character is afraid. Uh, Andreas, he's afraid to go back home in the second act, but he's afraid to go back home for a reason. And I'm not going to go into exactly why he's afraid to go back home, Mm -hmm. but like you feel that tension of like, I understand why he's afraid to go back home and uh, confront the things that are hard and or grief and or uh, relationship breakdown problems. That's actually uh, a really good answer. Yeah. So that's, that's for me. And Pentiment just continues to get great. I'm still in the third act of the game and it was my game of the year uh, in the end of the first act. So Yeah. Awesome. I could be, I could say that Andreas is sort of late stage questioning of self and career and calling puts yeah. the fear of God in me. I'm going to piggyback off your answer. Don't want to mm-hmm. end up there. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> I'm yeah. 10 years in. What are we doing? Yeah, yeah. This is this is the, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hitting 40. I'm, I'm like at the at the. Uh, oh, yeah, this is this is uh, we're all millennials. So like we, we've had the core yeah. life crisis. Well, yeah, we have. <laughs> yeah. We have. Yeah, it's a good right answer now. for that. It's very good. Yeah. Um, what happens with that? Yeah, good. Allegra, what about you? What What's the game that made you f- scared? It's called My uh, Work Computer Security uh, <laughs> Check. Did you shuts, win? The fact that you're back? your computer off every 
month. Best game, in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This is what happens when you can't afford your own computer. I have not owned my own computer in like seven years. So (laughs) anyways, (laughs) thanks, IAC. So a game that... Okay, this is a strange answer. A game that I am very afraid of, but have put countless, I mean, I could count them. It's like 200 hours into <laughs> at this point is Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. I like this answer already. I play it with my partner and he's always like, it's so fun. We love this game. And I'm like, no, we don't. It's actually very stressful. And I am afraid every time they put out the new DLC wave, do you love it? However, we have played this game so much, like we have become complete completists about it. So we're trying to get a star and gold cups, three stars and gold trophies on every single cup at every single speed. And that's incredibly hard. And he gets, yeah, yeah he gets very intense about it. So we will spend five hours at a time playing like, you know, star cup on 200 CC trying to get three stars on it and we can't like it is so hard we're good enough that we can speed through everything else but it gets hard and so before this new dlc was announced you know it was was stressful but we were like you know what maybe we're just never going to do this there's only a certain number of cups that we need to finish and maybe we'll just never finish them and then nintendo goes and announces that they're releasing several more cups so now we have even (laughs) more challenges and i'm like oh my god we will never like i am scared we will never be able to finish this now at first it was just like you know four extra things now it's like 12 extra things we're gonna have to do we're getting angrier and angrier. I'm feeling worse and worse about myself. Perhaps this is better for anger than fear. But what I am afraid of is that we will never, ever be able to beat these things. Like, it's been 200 hours. I'm not a huge Malcolm Gladwell fan, but he said <laughs> yeah. you, have to do, you have to practice for 10,000 hours to be a master uh-huh. of something. And I'm like, is it going to take 10,000 hours for us to beat Mario Kart 8 Deluxe? I'm afraid of this possibility. That's so good. That's awesome. Um, mm-hmm. That is making me want to go straight to anger because I've got a very similar <laughs> kind of, I mean, th- like that's a great example of how a game can sort of inadvertently make us feel a really intense emotion. And one of the th- examples of that with anger, Overwatch 2, I have never felt anger from a game. And as I was thinking of games that would fall into this category for me, there are not many games that make me feel anger. I think anger is the one emotion where I very, almost very rarely feel that emotion. Um, Weirdly enough. Does that not put you in a minority? That's a special, Uh, I feel like games. I don't know. (laughs) Often. That's cool. All games make me angry. That's so weird. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's my secret yeah. all games make me angry i guess like i'm at peace with failure when it comes to the video games but with overwatch 2 there's something very frustrating about like you you have this team and you're relying on each other and then you're doing kind of badly in like a competitive match and one of them just bounces and leaves and that moment is so infuriating because you are all equally invested in this thing. Competitive matches are a big deal to enter into. (laughs) You have to sort of like clear your schedule, tell the family you're not available, and then you get into it and you spend 20 minutes trying to win the thing and the minute it starts, you know, like you can't just leave the soccer game 
When you're down by three, <laughs> it's not the way it's done. You can't just walk away. Mm, yeah. So, okay. I, the, clearly, the my emotions came out doing that. But um, that is what made me feel angry. I think the task for this group, though, is to just develop appropriate, commensurate, real-life punishments for these people. <laughs> Extra, you know, to the, on the, you know, they leave the game and something falls on their house. You know what I mean? Like, how do we yeah. find justice? That's all I'm saying. That's yeah. right. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> my Overwatch 2 is Splatoon 3. I mean, it's the same thing. Nice, yeah. People dropping out of my squad. It is incredibly frustrating. Like, when you're almost about to win, someone drops out, and then, like, that game is like, sorry, this just isn't going to count. We're kicking you all out. Very annoying. Very unfair. I grew up with a fear of competitive stuff my you know sports in my family was very terrifying to behold my the men in my family were not the scions of sportsmanship there's a lot of thrown rackets scions. and swearing and just like really mm. um speaking of putting the fear fearful thing to watch as a kid so i always feel more comfortable in cooperative games i think than compet- i don't play a lot of competitive stuff but you know it's of course a lie that like it's all touchy feely cozy cooperative games because you're relying on each other so you can't escape difficult frustrating feelings or conflict just because you're on the same team so yeah something i've noticed but my i love that you brought up mario because i think probably mario made me angry this year (laughs) Uh, we did a we did i mean and this is not a game that came out this year but we did an into the depths or like a multi-series multi-episode series on super mario world Uh and i guess my frustration is this like this is a game that like sold consoles and you know it's like this big huge deal of a thing that right you know that like this is the really foregrounded like this is the game you're going to spend a lot of time with you buy the game you buy the console for the game or vice versa and it's really meant to be savored and like poked at and there's all these secrets and it's like a beautiful thing to, to really spend a lot of time with in a landscape where there were fewer video games in general, whatever. So if you're trying to sprint through it for a podcast, it's not the ideal setting. And so I was very bad at this game, very bad at this game. And like, it was so frustrating and I was so angry and I was like, this is not, and I could tell, I could feel that this was the wrong approach and the wrong like setup, you know, dynamic to have with this game. But like later levels and things, I was just so done. I just was so done with Mario and I felt yeah. really bad because I was like, this is not, I'm not being fair. I can feel that I'm not being fair, but I am furious. And I would not have like been able to get far enough if I didn't have help. I was like, please just play it so I can watch. I can't even take uh-huh. this anymore. And that's probably like blasphemous and other things. But no, um, those games are that freaking hard. I like so freaking hard. I love Mario. I do not like most <laughs> Mario games. It They are abusive. They are violent. Like yeah, they're too yeah. hard for their own good. It was hard. Yeah, that for was, sure. That made me angry. Josh, what about you? For me, the most anger inducing game like I, I was very angry this year but i didn't get angry too angry at video games um <laughs> i love that introduction i was mad i was so mad this whole year but i'm not for games actually <laughs> um, but uh the one thing that i was really mad about was uh immortality all the other reviews for immortality are like this game is so good it's so good <laughs> and then like you figure out what's happening and then you're like fuck this game yeah <laughs> <laughs> Shots fired! Wow. Shots fired! Wow. Shots fired! Is it just That's the? So uh, it was the. We will have to move on because we have very limited time. But is it the supernatural aspects? You just didn't buy it or like like that thing? Yeah, yeah. It's more that like the core gist of the game is you're building this amazing service to a specific subset of like seventies or sixties and seventies erotic fiction mm-hmm. or films. Yeah. And, like, the way that they're, like, intertwined with one another and, like, related to, like, 1990s and, like, you're trying to puzzle together in your mind how this all fits. 
And then when they're like, yeah, all the like extreme precise details that you were paying attention to, the framing narrative is the supernatural part of it. But the other parts were the more interesting part. The supernatural stuff is really cool, but it shouldn't be the meta narrative. I love a narrative reveal, an infuriating narrative reveal. That's exciting. <laughs> I use that as a transition <laughs> into the disgust category because my choice is immortality, not in a bad way. I think immortality does an incredible job, like genuinely incredible. One of the best examples I've seen of causing you to feel correct disgust. This game, like watching these scenes. And the subtext causes you to like really empathize with the characters you're watching. And you cannot watch that without feeling disgust on behalf of some of the characters in that game. And so especially as they're dealing with issues of consent and a mixture of issues of consent and religion and the uh, disclaimers on this game are, are all much that you should pay attention to if you're triggered by any of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Who else has a disgust? game what what's a game that made people feel disgusted that's such a good answer righteous disgust <laughs> empathetic disgust mm-hmm. i can't think of anything so so meaningful go ahead go ahead Alec. <laughs> no i love that too and actually you guys are making me want to play immortality now really badly so i can have <laughs> oh good no I, I you should it's it's amazing like i really loved it and it made me super fucking angry <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> i would say the a game that conjured disgust within me this year was a quarry I loved Until Dawn. <laughs> I uh, I love, you know, visual novels and that sort of thing. And of course, this is not that, but it is mostly about choice. But this game leaned a bit more into the like, I don't know if it's supernatural, but the kind of like gross, scary monster element than I expected it to do. And I don't really love gross, scary monsters. I don't want to spoil too much, but like someone turns into a werewolf, for instance, you know, people are being attacked. They are horny teens Uh. and even though it is very much like you know scream or a friday 13th kind of deal and those feel played out and this is not really going over the top leaning into extremely realistic blood and guts it still puts me off in the same way that watching something like a nightmare on elm street now still puts me off so i really enjoy that kind of thing but it is also like a little bit disgusting to see these kids turn into werewolves and get attacked and see these gross cabins yeah i i didn't really want to play it but that sells me on it <laughs> i love that i mean I, if, i'm like hearing him like yeah no i don't need that either and yeah, you're like, yeah no. that's what tell it me more. that great like 80s horror movie you know we're all trapped at camp kind of vibe so it is yeah. fun but yes it is also scary and gross nice yeah Awesome. Uh, Sarah, you got anything before we move on? I mean, all I can think of is the amount of disgust I had from my slowness and moving through Elden Ring. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's all I can, that's kind of all I can think of. I was like so intimidated by FromSoft games that I like was walking and creeping everywhere. Uh-huh. And I realized I was like, this world is too big and I will never make it far enough. And I was just kind of disgusted with my level of paranoia and anxiety and unwillingness to just go into some caves and die a bunch. I was like, mm-hmm. I was disgusted mm-hmm. with myself. That's my <laughs> answer. So yeah. I'm pretty sure all of us who were playing Elden Ring and not able to keep up with anyone who actually had time to play it. Yeah. Felt very similarly. That yeah. was that and Animal Crossing are two games that I was very frustrated by the sort of everywhereness of the discourse where you couldn't get away from feeling like you were <laughs> behind everyone else. It was kind of a bummer. Mm. All right, last one. Surprise. What's a game that? Oh, uh, just just real quick on disgust. Uh, for me, it was uh, Signalis. Signalis was a, a very good PS1 style survival horror game, and I loved a lot of what it did. One of the things that was a little bit surprising is that, like, basically everyone in this world is a 
uh, more or less, uh, not everyone, but most people are, are a replicant, uh, a digital copy of a person imprinted into basically a mech body. And the way that creates this existential discomfort throughout the game is was disgusting. But weirdly, the part that disgusted me the most was when the game wouldn't let me access my map. <laughs> <laughs> I was mad that Pentiment wouldn't let me dis- access my journal during conversations. I was like, who is this person? I need this context now, not after I'm done talking to them. Who are they? Give me the glossary. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> such- <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, I feel that. There, yeah, there's something to be said for that. Absolutely. But yeah, when a game is like teaching you how to like navigate and get around and you're like, oh, this is how it works. And you're like, needing to make sense of how the map works in your mind, especially like in the uh, specifically the third act of Signalis, because you can enter onto the right side of the screen. And then when you enter into the next room, you come into the next room from the right side of the screen. And it's like, how did, I don't understand. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. I need a, wait, that's can, really can funny. Can you guys draw a map for me? Yeah. <laughs> I like, was like sick troll guys. That's so good. That could be your surprise game too, yeah, Josh. Yeah. What other than that, what's your game that caused you to feel surprise? Oh, a uh, surprise, uh, probably Live a Live, mm-hmm. because I don't often want to go back into uh, 1990s uh, game releases or like RPGs, like classic JRPGs. Like it's not something mm-hmm. I've been fascinated by. And most of it's because I have a problem when a game doesn't let me show where I am, like the physical positioning of your character in a battle. When it's just like two teams of enemies just taking turns, to, uh, that doesn't work for me. But uh, Live a Live was, was both a tactical game and also like a game about genre where like one of the stories is you're like a caveman and then one of the stories you're like a ninja and then one of the stories you're a bounty hunter in the wild west and the way that it jumps around those genres you're expecting it to like come together in like some like huge octopath traveler bring it all together kind of moment and it's not that it doesn't but it's a very different game it surprised me in what the game was what it was trying to do what it was trying to say and it was way more modern and way more fulfilling as a 2022 game than the original 1994 context where it came out. And it surprised me in a way that like Octopath Traveler really didn't like those kinds of games. I expect an RPG to surprise me. And Lippa Live did that way more than any other RPG that I played recently. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I've been really wanting to play that game, which I've been saying (laughs) as live alive this whole time. <laughs> That's fine. That works too. Live That's alive. Intuitive. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Live alive. It's, it's sure. live alive, live yeah. alive. Yeah, so that's yeah. leave a lot. <laughs> and I love RPGs and being younger, like I came to classic 90s RPGs later in life. So I still find that really exciting to play. But so I'm excited to hear that you are someone who's still finding this very surprising as someone with this experience. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was, and it was just very good in a way that like, I'm not usually into that kind of, but also it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. But that's got to be said, like I deeply fell in love with the recreating of a pixel art game through Unreal Engine, a uh, thing mm-hmm. that happens in both Live a Live Octopath Traveler and uh, Triangle Strategy. And I won't go into why Triangle Strategy is one of my favorite games this year, too. But just a quick nod. Uh, But yeah, just that style of game is very special. Cool. Uh, So that's all that I'll say. That's my favorite surprise. Uh, How about you, Allegra? Okay, I was going to say my favorite game of the year as well, Pokemon Legends Arceus. I never know how to say that word. Talking about pronunciations. (laughs) Arceus, Arceus. Because it was so surprising that this... It seemed like a very out of left field take on Pokemon, like the open world take that we weren't necessarily asking for, but I loved it. It was so fun, this open world or version of it with like little side quests. Like it felt like a more of a Final Fantasy with Pokemon trappings to me in a way. And I freaking love that game. And I was surprised by how much I loved it. However, that is not what I'm going to choose. What I'm going to choose... (laughs) 
is the game. Surprise! <laughs> <laughs> the game that literally surprised me so much this year was Hank's Trivia on mobile. What? It, what? <laughs> Tom Hanks released a trivia what? game. <laughs> it is the freaking weirdest what? game I've ever played. It is trivia. It is like he narrates it and he's just doing like, oh boy, what a game. Or like, you know, just saying like random and it's freaking Tom Hanks saying it. And you go on like these different little themed boards, but none of the questions are really themed. There's no sense of like escalating and challenge the different clues they give you, like the possible answers are never related. Like it'll be like, who was the uh, conqueror of Mongolia in the year 1600? And it'll be like Mariah Carey, George Bush, (laughs) Genghis Khan, and Ronald McDonald. (laughs) And like, let's say you pick Ronald McDonald, it'll say no Genghis Khan. And then it will show you a picture of like, feet with gangrene like it is the weirdest game like it will show you a random (laughs) image that's nothing to do with the game and we i was playing with my partner and we played it for like two hours and i was like no we gotta keep playing because this game is so weird like it was just i'm downloading now it's so weird and i love trivia it would just do like stock images of like a man throwing up like a really gross like thumbs up like it's really i will never forget the like gangrenous feet that we got and this is on apple arcade it's on apple arcade because we got apple arcade and we were like oh let's find some games and i was like hank's trivia that's weird it was weird. And I was constantly shocked. <laughs> that sounds incredible. Oh my God. I want this to be like an epic arg. <laughs> yeah. I just want, yeah. you know what I yeah. mean? Like, I just want there to be a really sick reveal. I'm trying to find the Hank's trivia <laughs> fandom and we can create this. But yes. we're not, like, my partner has banned it from the house because I got way too invested in trying to see those photos. <laughs> too deep. Come up. Too deep. He's like, this is like when you see those ads of like this disgusting disease pop up at the end of an article like that's the whole game so he's like we're not doing this anymore he's just a coward and isn't ready to see the truth (laughs) that's what i'm saying (laughs) oh my god this is phenomenal what a surprise what a surprise what a surprise that was for me right now just now allegra you've just given me like five recommendations i'm very thankful (laughs) for real i'm here to help (laughs) it's amazing all right sarah what's your uh surprise game what made you feel surprised yeah, I'll try and keep it. This okay. Card Shark um, made okay, me feel surprised yeah. because one, I didn't think that I would like drill myself on these like uh, these card tricks as hard as I did. I certainly did. I didn't think I would learn card tricks that are actual card tricks. Although obviously I can't execute them mm-hmm. in real life, but they're real card tricks. I was surprised by which card tricks. In interviewing them later, like which ones are the most common and most effective because they're the like the ones that seem the most hacky and obvious. Like using a you know using a reflection in the huh. table to cheat um, is like the yeah, most common. Yeah. It's like you would be shocked at how people don't notice stuff like that. Um, did you talk to Nikolai or, or no? We talked to two lovely developers, and I think it must have been both of them. Yeah. But it would be hilarious if I were wrong, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, near a bit team. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but really lovely. It was a really cool chat and very I don't know if we've said the name of your podcast, and I want, don't want to not say it through the course of this. That's okay. The, I'm not here to hype my other podcast. <laughs> well, I am. I'm here to hype Eggplant. Everyone, Eggplant. Everyone go listen to Eggplant. It's like a fantastic podcast. Um, mm-hmm. So check it out. That's um, an amazing nice. name for a podcast. Oh, boy. Yeah. Let me. Yeah. It's it's a Spelunky thing. It used to be a Spelunky oh, podcast. Okay. I, and tell me, I had joined it afterward, and I have to bear that brunt every time I mention it to somebody. It's so like the new Gamasutra. 
Nitro. We've yes. got to have some weird, embarrassing name out there yeah. in video game in the God. video game world. They changed Kama Sushi to the other thing, GameDeveloper.com or whatever. It's a very not sexual podcast. Oh, yeah. It couldn't be less sexual. I don't know if that's a good sell, but it's true. So um, my surprise game, just really quick, is Marvel Snap. This is a game that those mechanics are built to just gut punch the other person. You want to play that last card that's going to make them realize <laughs> that they were completely wrong. The mechanics are completely built around this. There's like a betting mechanic where you snap and you bet a certain amount of cubes and then if you snap and if the other person snaps it means they're calling your bet and you're all sort of like bluffing or not, you know, as far as whether or not you're going to win and it the nature of these games are so short that last card is almost always a complete shock turnaround and some of those moments are really fun um if you like being surprised check out marvel snap it's one of my favorite games of the year by a long shot awesome i feel like at their worst end of year lists tend to be framed as objective declarations and i think by now we all know that this is a misguided approach to handing out accolades to our favorite games in fact it's that word favorite that I think I prefer the most in framing these lists. But after years of ranking my favorite games, I've become more and more accustomed to just how subjective an end-of-the-year list like this is. In my experience, these retrospective lists aren't objective declarations or even a subjective exploration of our favorites. They're personalized explorations of how we experience the year ourselves. Ultimately, our year-end lists are made up not of games that impressed us the most or even that made us the happiest. They're made up of games that made us feel the most. But we needed to be in a place to want to feel those things. Whether it be frustration, anxiety, exhilaration, achievement, companionship, or sadness, we needed to crave those feelings in the exact moment that those games offered them up to us. I hope you had a great year, and I hope you have your own list of games that gave you exactly what you needed this year. This will be the last episode of the season, but we'll be back in the new year. If you're curious, stay tuned after this little jingle. I'll be sharing my own official top 10 games of the year. Here are my top 10 games of the year at number 10, A Memoir Blue. You heard me talk about that on the show. Number nine came in late in the year, Need for Speed Unbound. Just a really fun game. Number eight, Road 96. Deeply felt game that actually did make me feel anger quite a bit at this sort of impact of political decisions and how they impact individuals and groups of people. Number seven, Immortality. Number six, Escape Academy. I had a lot of fun playing that with my son. Number five, Norco. I would probably like Norco more if I'd played more of it. But yeah, I really enjoy the vibe of that game, even though I'm probably about 5% (laughs) into it. Number four, Marvel Snap. Surprise hit of the season. Number three, Pentiment. 
I just finished Act 1. I thought I was about to beat the game, and I finished Act 1, and now I'm even more in love with that game, so it jumped a few spots. Number two, Disney Dreamlight Valley, my most played game of the year. And number one, Citizen Sleeper. Have a good 2023. This is an Area Code podcast.